I'm a very, as Paul says, oral person. I, I, yes. I usually don't say that. Verbal? Verbal, Verbal? Yeah. maybe? <laughs> okay. Richard. Paul, you know what I do every morning right now? Tell me, Rich, what do you do every morning? Put socks right now? on? Yeah. Oh, good. I yeah, put a watch on? Yeah. Put my watch on. I put a watch on too. I put on the watch you gave me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Because I'm going to work. I'm commuting. It's true. And I got to look decent. All right, Rich, there's been a long standing joke about working from home and not wearing pants. I just read an article that Walmart confirmed they're selling more tops, but no more pants. Since the pandemic. That makes a lot of sense. And what a wonderful way to introduce Tim Meany, our guest for today's <laughs> podcast. Tim Large has been data sets are amazing. <laughs> Tim Tim is a friend. A client. A client. We've known him for years and years. One of our best podcasts, I think, actually, is what are the greatest pieces of software in the history of software? Look it up if you haven't heard it. He's been on before, and it's a lot of fun. It's good it's, to have Tim back on. Tim, this is comfort food, this podcast. This isn't going to be like – I mean, it might yeah. get existential. Don't worry. You know when they do smashed potatoes and they yeah. put like little bacon bits in them? That's, That's this podcast. Yeah, today. we're not – we're all here to have a good time. I, you know, so what we've, what we've learned is that Tim's not wearing pants as we record this podcast. Well, Tim, you know what? That, Hold on. Right? Pause. The real risk, frankly, isn't not wearing pants. The real risk is you're like – those pants are fine. I wore those yesterday. I'm going to just continue. That is it. truly risky, oh, isn't it? Because Truly risky. There's a comedian, Jim Gaffigan, and he, he just has a point like, men are so lazy, they'll wear the same pair of pants because the belt's already in it. And it's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you know, I, that's the thing. The chore of getting ready for work is very important for me mentally. So even though I don't have to do any of this stuff, I think the, the ritual and just the act of preparing myself and then beginning work is yeah. just healthy, it feels like, for me at least. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in sweatpants. I feel confident enough in myself to say that. But yeah, I'm wearing a watch and, and I have deodorant on because I love my family very much. No, these are but, good things. Like I, I wake up every morning and I shower and I get ready for work. That's yeah, sanity. exactly. So here's the question. Let's pose it to Tim. Tim, when do we go back to work? I'm going to say mid-May. Oof. Okay. I was thinking sometime in April, early mid-April, tax day. Really? Well, that's worth noting. Tim is in New Jersey, northern New Jersey. I, Paul and I are in Brooklyn. Our office is in Manhattan right now. This has been week two. recording or... this podcast. Yeah, this is March 27th recorded. I mean, New York City is the epicenter right now of the spread. But again, that's because of the number of results they're showing off of the tests. We're testing a lot right now. So there's that. So who knows? But I think we're going to be later than uh, Dayton, Ohio. I'll tell you that. Yeah, you're probably right. My the, thinking. The but thing about May 15th. So this was the first week for me. So we're two weeks in. And like yesterday, I started to go, wow, this feels normal now. This is what we're doing. You know, human beings take about two weeks to adapt in a, like a very basic way to a new behavior. And then after that, there's this kind of iterative like, oh, this is this is how we do. And so if you're talking May, that's normal. By May 15th, yeah. this is what, what is normal. And going back to the office is what's strange. Yeah, it's going to be weird. I just imagine I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. I just imagine my seven-year-old, he's a boy, he's got a lot of energy 
I imagine them going back to school that first day, if they go back to school this school year, and just destroying the place. There's just going to be so much pent up energy. Kid energy is contagious and kids kind of feed off each other. I think they're just going to destroy the place. <laughs> I just think they're going to take desks and just tip them over. And it's just they're going to be so excited to be in that element again. We're, they're just not, they're, it's going to take a minute to adjust back. There's no, there's no well, way. You just said something it. interesting. You think they're going back to school this year. Well, I don't. I actually don't think yeah. they Well, are. And that's uh, worth pointing out. Like that's by mid-May, you're really only talking a few weeks left in the school year. Yeah. Right. Which is crazy. New York City has, you know, it's one of the largest school systems in, in the country. It is the largest in the country, one of the largest in the world. And they are struggling with, you know, online learning and all that. And there are a lot of kids who don't even have computers to even do it. So it's hard right now. It's hard on parents right now. Really hard on parents right now. It's a tricky one, right? Because I'm seeing with the distance learning, only about half the kids are showing up. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, they're getting more devices in and, and, and people are figuring it out. But like... They're going to have to start over and sort of like maybe do summer school or or something. Like there's no way to keep everybody on track after this. I I will say, I think positive things will come out of this. All right. I love this. Love that. Well, this is what this is what humans do, right? I'll share an example. You know, I I call this the ask for forgiveness moment. Like we just have to do stuff right now. So a lot of the analysis and risk assessment of things you're going to do kind of get put away. The, the risk calculator is in the drawer for, for now. But I'll give you an example. We have a large financial institution that is a client of Postlights, and they got on Zoom in like five days. And, th- and this is after, you know, probably 12 years of video conferencing conversations. <laughs> no, without a doubt, have spent tens of millions of dollars just assessing how they're going to do video conferencing. Inside of their office, not remote. <laughs> It's, it's, it's staggering. And then in five days, they did it. Another example, you know, I had an, op, an appointment with my ophthalmologist uh, a few days ago over FaceTime. And it was fine. She asked me to do a few things. She tracked my eye while I followed an object. It was doable. And, you know, I also went to neurologists for years. And neurologists... Yeah, Rich, this is great. This is fa- It's literally called FaceTime. But there are like 800 other kinds of doctors where this is like, what are proctologists doing? Or podiatrists. Let me take it up a notch. Like, how okay. how awkward is this? Hey, can you please... Dentist. going to be hard to do that. Dentist. No, Just I, not everything, but a lot of visits to the doctor's office are conversations. How are you doing? No doubt. How no are doubt. you doing? And, and for a neurologist, like a conversation, you know, I, I had a condition that didn't, there was nothing to check on me physically. You just talked to me. And I never understood why he wouldn't have a phone call with me. And the reason he wouldn't have a phone call is because he needed to file away the visit as a formal appointment for insurance purposes. Right. And that's ridiculous, right? Because I, it could all be done. We're getting in cars. We're getting on trains for something that doesn't need to be the but case. it could be and, done in telemedicine, sure. It could be done with telemedicine. And yeah, I mean, will there be a way to look at my foot on... I mean, I don't want to put my foot on my iPad. I'll be frank. I know this whole thing is bad. Like when we get to OBGYN, it's just, this is not... There's a lot more to What about non-essential business travel? When does that get back to the level? That can't be... Probably never. That can't be soon enough. Never. Sales is weird. I will say like sales is a very like handshake driven... Go see them. When do handshakes get back? They're gone. That's going to be like six months. We're not doing handshakes. I think we could just adopt like Japanese culture where you just sort of bow at each other and let's just call it a day. It's fine. I think there's more to Japanese culture than that, but for the purposes of argument. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no, but I, I mean, I have I have a, a rule with sales, which is if you can go see them, go see them. Always, right? That's if you the, need to get on a plane, get on a that's plane. Foundation. That's right. what you do. And, and, and it's actually really important. Like people like to visit our office and see how is this thing real. Our office does a lot of the sell for us, selling services. So I mean, look, I'm I'm saying this as if the future is here and we're not going to ever see each other. People need to see each other. Humans need to interact with one another and see each other and pat each other on the back. There, I do think there is a lot of inefficiency and honestly, a lot of waste. You know, we have a client right now whose their goal is to raise awareness around climate change. And if we can bring down doctor's visits by 10% or meetings that are remote. Look, and pointless business travel. We work with lots of big consulting firms and their instinct is just to get on a transnational flight at any moment. Always. You know, just And yeah. the clients expect it. And it, it's kind of baked into the pricing. I think that's what's tricky. Like we have a business and Tim, you work in insurance, right? Like you're a product lead for a big insurance firm. But we all basically work in businesses where like travel isn't the first instinct. Like we don't bake travel into the cost of working with us. If we're going to need to fly to work with clients, that that's going to cost more. It's not a given. And so we're able to kind of have a profile that way. But a lot of businesses, it's just a given, which is why you have an airline industry. And I think that that should be on the block. Like it's it's been time for a while and everyone's been kind of going like, oh, yeah, we know we have to figure this out. Let's buy some carbon offsets down in the, you know, the Amazon. And now it's like it's kind of got shoved into our face. And now everybody's going to go like, well, we have to deal with this. What else, Tim, anything else that comes to mind that I think can be more positive, like a positive change that came out of this? Well, I, I don't want to get too sappy about it, but and, and I'm not the first person to point this out. But the forced time with family, and I mean forced meaning just being together for this amount of time yeah. has been amazing. I have a daughter who's a senior in high school, so who's very literally leaving us soon. And yeah. this period of time together is just been amazing with all of everything going on around us and the hardship. But I'm putting that aside for one moment. It's been something I'm sure you're experiencing the same. Yeah, exactly. And my kids are a lot younger but let's face it. I mean, we tend to fill our day with whatever we think we need to get done. And there's just not a lot left. You get the scraps, right? Family usually, I mean, we're, the three of us are ambitious, busy people. And, and we're not ones to say, ah, I'm going home at 11 a.m. on a Thursday and just going to go hang with my family. I, I just don't think that way. I, I, I feel I've like- I've had a baseball catch, a baseball catch with my son every day mm-hmm. during this time. We haven't had a baseball catch in- 12 years. No, I mean, yeah. look, let's be clear. We're, we're actually, like Rich and I, as co-founders of a small business, are pretty good. Like, we go home, we have dinner with children, we spend the weekends, we take vacations. But it's it's not like this. I think that what's been different for me, because I have eight-year-old twins, right? So they, they're up and down. This is a lot for them. And, and what I'm finding is that I just am more deeply involved, like just You know, my wife has taken on Mm. the burden of the childcare because I'm working, and right now she doesn't have a job, which is actually working out beautifully. But like, I need to get in there. I need to listen to what's going on. I need to peacemake. I need to let the kids literally ride me around in the room. My son was like, "I need to wrestle and play." Like he just is like, "I need to fight and hit." Because that's what an eight-year-old needs to do. And I'm like, all right, well, damn it, we're going to we're gonna actually... And I just started throwing him around the room. And he was happy, yeah. right? Given this moment and the fact that like you have to get make the best of it you can. If you're healthy and you're home, this is your chance to see if you can connect with the people around you. 
does everyone just go back to the old way? No. Like, uh, this is nice, and we got to play catch. This passes. I tend to think that humans have a short attention span. I mean, I remember I was I was in New York for, for 9-11 the first, I don't know, year, year and a half were weird. And then we just kept going. Here's Here's what's up, right? People... Once we get out of a zone of panic and fear, we like to pretend that the panic and fear was never there. And we tend to remember like, well, that was a time when we were home with our family. And boy, that was weird. (laughs) But the skills and tools that humans learn, we will apply to any new situation. So like, I think denial will emerge and everybody will run back into the office and be like, God, it's just good to eat like a kind bar and have somebody else pay for my Diet Coke again. Like that, that part will be real. Yeah. And it's like, let's have a meeting. And then, you know, know, we'll all get used to that. And then this style of interaction that we've all had to learn through May and, you know, who the hell knows? Maybe it's June. Like, that's not going away. Like, speaking into the microphone and, and, and letting things be virtual as well as physical and collaborating on documents in a really ad hoc way. And probably a lot more, like, I, th- I, th- I see this with you and me, Rich, like, just letting go because we don't have control. Tim, you manage a team. Like, what, what's your experience been like? So... My team is entirely remote. So from that angle on it, nothing has changed. The big change for everybody on my team has been, this is obvious, but like the change in their work environment, like you just said, they have kids home. So having like, we as a leadership team just had to have a lot of empathy for people. Like I can't make that meeting, you know, I'm cooking breakfast or whatever. So people are dealing with change, even if they've been remote for two years. Yeah, you you do need that separation, that wall of separation, even if it's virtual. Like when that kid climbs into the frame of that meeting, it is a moment, right? You're just sort of talking and you're you're making your point and all of a sudden a five-year-old just sort of drifts into the <laughs> into the frame. We did a we did a kid zoom. It was pretty good. Yeah, it was great. It was, it was we great. We had all the kids come onto a zoom at the end of Wednesday and that's pretty it was great. absolute chaos. Just complete total nonsense. <laughs> it was great. All right, so you guys were all remote already. So, But yeah, this isn't remote. This is something different. This is pandemic. So what's going to happen? We're all going to come in and we're all going to pretend that we're back at the office in June. I think everyone's going to come in and just... I think it's going to take everyone a minute to feel comfortable to be in each other's presence, actually. I think a, a switch isn't going to flip, right? Um, it's, it's Well, actually, what is that switch? Because yeah, there is no switch, right? If the government, whoever, the mayor... The governor, whoever you want to say, says yeah. it's safe. Like, what is the moment where you as a human actually feels it's safe? That's a We don't it, know yet. It's obviously. literally in New York State when Andrew Cuomo puts up a PowerPoint slide and says, this is who can go back to work. Uh, I mean, he has a lot of trust and his voice has been very yeah, it, clear. Yeah, that's not enough. But uh, it's not enough. You can already tell that there is such a fog of war right now. That there's and there's such a lack. It's just shards of information that are making it out, and people are trying to piece together what is right and what isn't, and what is true and what is trending, and which way is it trending. And I think that's what where a lot of the anxiety lies. Like this is something that we haven't gotten our arms around yet. Everybody wants to know if they can order food in. Everybody wants to know, you know, how should they should clean their phones or should they, do they even have to bother cleaning their phones? Right. Everybody wants to, and, and no one knows. That is where we are today. Nobody really knows the right answers. And the thing I think that is really messing with people's heads is that you could have no symptoms and just go buck wild yeah. and infect 20 people, right? And that is a lot for someone to process. I'm not even talking about the actual pandemic. I'm just talking about psychologically the idea 
of my seven-year-old doing this to people is a lot. It's a lot to process. And until we actually have visibility into things where we can feel confident about where we are, like, am I immune now? Can I go work in a grocery store? Because I or I, I got it a month and a right. half ago and, and I'm fine and I can take the burden off someone else. We don't have the tools yet. Like we don't have them. So what you're going to see is a lot of eyeballing, a lot of like what I call visual flight, essentially you know, good pilots, they don't bother with the instruments on a clear day. They just sort of feel their way and land the plane. Like that's a lot. To, I mean, you know, Cuomo's doing a lovely job and he's very inspirational, but that's a lot to put faith in. Right, I, right. I don't think anyone's going to do it. I think I want to change my date off of May 15th after thinking about uh, what Oh, no, it's going to be worse. Yes. I, I think, you know, this calculation, like this algorithm gets run all day. I'll, I'll, get, I'll share a personal example. I rented a car a week ago. Figuring I could bring my mom, who's in her 60s, who lives alone, over to our house. If we just keep it between her house, my house, and the car, all's good, right? So I rented this car for a month. It's parked outside my house. Three days later, we're just sort of watching how things unfold. And I'm sitting there trying to do this calculation in my head. And we haven't picked her up. We just said the hell with it. Why even risk it, even though it feels pretty low risk to even do it? Right? No, I mean, so, she's in her 60s. Yeah. She's not in perfect health. Like, you, why risk it? Why risk it? I wish I could tell you that's because I had, you know, some really excellent inputs to put in this algorithm. I, I didn't. It, my inputs are like, you know, a headline I read and a statistic I saw and just me being rational. It's just bullshit. It's all a hodgepodge and nonsense. That to me is where much of the anxiety lies. It's in that ambiguity, not in the actual thing. Obviously, the actual thing is terrible. That's the other bit of it. We are watching this through the media from our houses, which we can't leave. And that's a very weird thing. That hospital three miles away from me feels 300,000 miles away from me. Right, right. It's a really weird feeling, right? The crisis is right here, but it feels so far away. And so I think a lot of this is psychological and sociological in terms of how we cope with it. I mean, I'm thinking about New York City. I think New York City is in the heat of it right now. So, Tim, I don't know. People, have you gone to town? Have you gone to your, like, Main Street in, in Ridgewood, New Jersey, where you live? Bergen County's dealing with a lot as well. There's a few areas that are definitely out of control. But I live in the suburbs. You know, the downtown is just completely shut down. But the suburbs has this weird coming-to-life moment that happens in all of these events, like post-hurricane powers out, anything like that. Yeah. Weirdly, everybody goes outside, talks to each other, is kind, rides bikes, throws baseballs. It's such a weird phenomenon relative to the norm, which is everybody's inside staring at their phones or at like dance practice. Wait, so, so the suburbs come alive. So wait, are the suburbs, you mean they're coming alive now? Hundred. If I were to look out my window on a normal day, I'd see zero human beings. If I look out, I'm in my basement. But if I were to look out, I would see 20 people. They're not near each no, other. No, I know what you're talking about, which is like, that's the network. Everything else is fake. That's the network. They went, hey, did you yeah. see that? Are you okay? How's your house? Hey, neighbor, are you okay? Yeah. yeah exactly. What's going on? See, the thing for us here is there's a lot of stoops where I live. I'm in Brooklyn, right? And sitting on your stoop on a warm day is a thing. But the density is creating more anxiety yeah. than where you are. Like you've just got the that. math is very different. The very math different. is very yeah. different. This podcast is accomplishing something important. Which is it saying, this is going to be a while. Doesn't matter if it's good for business. Doesn't matter if it's great for you individually. There's kind of no negotiating with it. It's going to be a while. And then it's going to be different. 
and nobody really knows exactly how. Like, we're going to come in, and everything's going to be tilted about three degrees to the left, and it's going to take a little while to find your balance. Yeah, I think that's right. It's interesting. I thought we would skew towards talking about business and technology, and we didn't. We ended up talking about human beings and how we're going to deal with this stuff. I do think positive things will come out of it. I think it's going to take time. I think it's sort of like you ever get off, you know, not to use the flu as an analogy, even when you're done with it, your energy level is just not there. It takes like another few days after it's all behind you to just get going well, again. You feel, you're like, hey, I'm back at work. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then yeah. usually like like six days later, you're like, God, I was still a little bit sick. Yeah. It's fatigue, right? It's, it's just the energy level isn't back to where it was. And I think there's going to be that lag. I think that is real. And I think if you're running a company or working at a company, I think people are going to see that in each other and recognize it. You know, I think too, just like we're talking to somebody who works in insurance, but like resilience and probability are going to get factored in. And I, I think there'll be this initial burst of like, oh, we need to plan so that if that ever hap- that ever happens again, we've got a clear strategy and we, you know, we'll, we'll start evaluating this as we do our, our planning sessions. I mean, this is a great point. I mean, there's a term in your world, Tim, the one in 100 year event. Absolutely. And, and that's a calculation that you guys make, right? I mean, that's... There's a thing about one in 100 year events, if you ever read The Black Swan, which is over a, a long enough time period, low probability things happen. Right, right. They actually happen a lot over a long enough period of time. So people think one in 100 means zero. It means one in 100. Right. Which is very different than zero. We're all what? 45-ish? We've been through a few one in 100 events, I would we say. We definitely have. New York City has. Here's what, here's what I'm thinking. It's not the specific event. And I think that that will be the initial reaction for a lot of people. It's like, well, when, you know, are we in a world of pandemics? The reaction here, or at least the way that I'm seeing this, and the, you know, in, in the back of my head, I'm like, what can I learn from this? Like, what is the thing that I can take to the business? I can take to my kids. I can internalize. And I've been thinking about this as I've been getting older and thinking about my health and so on. It's like there is no greater quality than resilience. Like, there's nothing mm. that matters more than resilience. And that's not really what we talk about mostly when we're talking about planning and structuring the business. We talk about risk in a certain way. We think about growth, but that word doesn't come up as much as as other words do. And I I think in the future, that's got to be part of the conversation, which is like, what happens if you push us this way or that way? Like, how do we get back on track? Let's keep it light for a minute. The most relevant thing everybody in the world is talking about right now, besides the big thing, is Tiger King. So Rich, which Tiger King character are you? I I don't know all their names. I'm, I'm not Johnny Exotic. Is it Johnny Exotic or Joe Exotic? Joe? I don't think I'm that Joe. guy. I'm not Joe Exotic. Okay. I think I'm the guy who's kind of like the upgrade version <laughs> of Joe Exotic Zoo. I don't the know. Myrtle Beach version. The Myrtle, the Myrtle Beach, Beach version. It's just nice. Okay. It's like sort of a more of a compound. I think that woman's full of shit, by the way. Like, I, I can't fully piece together. Right, wait, I'm should, only on episode Should two. I watch this thing? Oh, you need to you watch it, Paul. There is an alternate universe that is exists on this earth that you need to peer into. All right. It is to it understand is culture in 2020, Paul, which you're a astute observer of, you have All to right. watch. I, I will really watch Tiger watch King it. on Netflix. It's a wonderful distraction. It's great that you brought this up, Tim. It is a wonderful distraction right now because it's so ridiculous. Yeah. What, what I mean, as someone that is managed remotely, and we've asked this of other people. We actually had our, our head of engineering gave a great podcast where he gave tips on on working remotely. But I want to ask you, since your team is virtual, about managing remotely. 
come out of the moment for a second. You've been doing this for a while. What works? Like what's something, what are a couple of things that you find are really make it effective? Because for a lot of people, this is weird, right? I like, to, I like to talk to you. I like to go back and forth. And it's been an adjustment for me in dealing with that. So I guess give, me, give, give everyone, actually, some things you've learned that just made it more effective for you to, to work with a team and manage a team that's entirely remote. Okay. And thank you for this question, because I didn't want to go out on Tiger King. So at least I get to say something maybe <laughs> potentially <laughs> slight, slightly meaningful. So... I guess what I would say, it, it was an adjustment for me to have a remote team, for sure, because I'm very much a relationship person. But all I would say would be, for me, extend that idea to just being remote. What I mean by that is, look, I'm, I'm like a product leader, always driving people to ship. Yesterday, we were in a war room from 10 a.m. literally till midnight because we had a huge release. Everybody's home, everybody's stressed. But the way that people motivate to do that is because... They're working with a network of people who care about them. And that has to be real and meaningful. So if you're just going to tell people to work till midnight, you're a monster. If you're going to motivate people to want to work with you, that has to be based on something more meaningful and deeper, which I would call an actual human relationship, not a false one. And just because you're remote, there's nothing about being remote that precludes having a normal human relationship with somebody where you like, for example, care about them, ask them about their kids. Be sensitive to them and say, why don't you take Monday off because you work till midnight? All of those things are the same, whether you're in the same room or remote. Interesting. Do you cultivate that between team members? I mean, I know you and I know how you work and approach things. and I know you would do that. So you build those bonds. But how does the team like I find that if a team is connected, it's just a whole other level of effectiveness and quality comes out of them. How do people how are people going to connect if they're all remote? So you're, you are pointing out one thing that I think is interesting and obvious, which is the relationships that I've been able to build in my organization are also based on getting together and having a beer and going for dinner. So if you're like in this moment where you don't yet have that, perhaps it's harder to build and maintain a relationship. So I'm leveraging something that existed before this, right. but I think it's still, it still is sound and valid, which is empathy, listening, talking, giving people time off, giving people space, canceling. In this moment, for example, we've decided to cancel non-essential meetings Mm -hmm. just to give people space. So have all of the work layer on top of a relationship. That would be my advice. So you said, how do I do it? Sure, I try to focus on it and model that behavior for everyone around me, but I also recruit for it. I like to find people who can build those kind of networks and relationships and not just think about getting work done. Great advice. Tim Meany, it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. We were supposed to talk about the worst software in the history of software oh, as a follow-up to the this best. Is a moment we will of do wh- that another time. Why pretend? <laughs> but wait, <laughs> it's and, the title of the and, podcast. And I do want to close why out. Why pretend? I have some great news. You ready? Breaking news. Go. Okay. Google has canceled its April 1st prank. Yes. So at least yes. something we don't have to deal with this year. I could have used the prank, to be uh, frank. Uh-uh. but whatever. I, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. We've said prior, uh, if you've got anything that you want to talk to us about, um, we've been giving advice to companies that are dealing with a lot of change and sort of having to accelerate on their on their technology side of things. Reach out. It's hello at postlight.com. We're always open to talking, even if it's not a classic inquiry about Postlight. We're a digital product studio based in New York City. 
Hello at postlight.com. Your people have been great. The people at Postlight who I work with have been just tremendous during this time. They're all pros. And I mentioned a big, big day yesterday we had. There was Postlight people right there with us yesterday. That's That's awesome. That's great to hear. Thank you, Tim. Timini. All right. Well, you know, Timini with a little bit of frank facts about it maybe taking a little while for us to get back to work, but I still feel better. Yeah, me too. All right, everyone. Stay safe and have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. Stay healthy. Talk to everybody soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.